Destin. What? <clears throat> what? This is this this is the start of the episode. Yeah. Yeah, this is the episode. Like when we you know we start with like a, a song or something. Yeah, we play the song at the very beginning of the episode. That's this is. Okay, so out of out of the, the twenty three songs on this double album, you're deciding to you chose this one. Yeah, this is the you waiting chose room. Chose this 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 song. Yeah, it's the waiting room. It's like, but that's out, a, of, that, out of the good vibe. I don't think that. I don't think that's a good opener. Not a good vibe. I thought it was a thought it would fit. You know, the very open of this track. You know, what? No, like the episode. It would be a good episode opener. You know what I mean? It's no. So you you don't like it? No, I'm I, no, I'm just. Why would you choose that? I thought it was. I thought it was nice. Like I, I thought it was. I don't think so. And I, I don't. I don't think I'm necessarily alone. I mean, that's your opinion. I think it's a lot of people's opinion. I, so, what do you want? What What do you want? What do you want me to do? I want you to change it. I mean, to, okay, to something else. Okay. Okay. Fine. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Prog Notes. My name is Destin. And I'm Drew. And today we are listening to The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway by Genesis. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. We hope to educate and inspire you to uncover and learn about progressive rock music that you may have never heard of or want to learn more about. There are a lot of great podcasts out there, so we are very honored that you're with us today. We would love to connect with you. So please give us a follow on Instagram at prog underscore notes or Facebook at Prognotes Podcast. If you're part of our community, welcome back. And if you enjoyed what you hear today, we'd be, we would be very grateful if you shared the episode with a friend and subscribe so you will be notified when we launch a new episode. So The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is the sixth studio album by the English progressive rock band, progressive rock band Genesis, released November 18th, 1974, as a double album being around 94 minutes in length. The musicians on this album include Peter Gabriel's lead vocals and flute, Steve Hackett on guitars, Mike Rutherford on bass guitar, Tony Banks on all things keyboards, and Phil Collins on drums and vocals. Additional musicians actually include Brian Eno, which was, this was new to me. Uh, I don't know about you, Drew, if you knew this. Um, But this was new to me. Brian Eno ran vocal treatments throughout the record. Um... And uh, this record was also the last record to feature Peter Gabriel. I definitely want to know why he left. But before that, Drew, I want to hear some reviews on this record. What was the uh, what was the critical reception like of this? This was pretty well received, especially in retrospect. Uh, when it came out, it was uh, 41 in the U.S., number 10 in the U.K., number 34 in New Zealand, and number 14 in Italy. Oh, wow. Um, so it... it, it well, you know, it wasn't like the biggest bash ever, but it was, they, they received some pretty good reception to this for such kind of a, a bizarre record. Um, I mean, Genesis was always progressive in a way. This, this I think, kind of pushed it to a new level for them, personally. Um, and so that's that's pretty good. Granted, I'm sure they obviously had some help just with their reputation, right? They, they were already kind of established as fairly popular yeah um it sold over five hundred thousand copies in the u.s um it has sold a hundred thousand copies in the uk and a hundred thousand in france as well wow uh so it's a you know you're talking about genesis a lot of people are going to know what this record is um 
Prague Archives gave it an aggregate score of 4.3 out of 5 out of 2,987 ratings. Wow. Uh, 56% gave it a 5 out of 5, a perfect score, over half. And 30% gave it a 4 out of 5. So 86% think that it's pretty great and that you should listen to it. Um, that's just, I, I always find that interesting, just those those statistics. But um, wow. a reviewer on Prague Archives by the name of Andy um, Hello, Andy. Hi, Andy. That's my dad's name. Oh, that's um, right. Yeah. Shoot. What does Andy um, have to say? Uh, he had a lot to say, um, but what I found interesting was kind of his talking about the concept of the record, which we'll get into later. This is a uh, you know, double album concept record as well. Um, it's intoxicating, right. not least of all because I still haven't got the slightest clue what it's all about it's almost like a puzzle or mathematical equation which demands to be solved the lyrics are clearly a metaphor for something i've just never figured out what i've tried reading other people's thoughts on the matter spent hours digesting notes on the internet of interpretations and theories but nothing seems to feel right to me in a way it doesn't really matter the biggest joke might be if peter gabriel doesn't even know what it means and the words were just chosen because they made good lyrics and fitted together well um I think later on he says, I initially set out to write a three-star review for this album, but how can I? There may be a good chunk of filler on here, but there are also some absolutely fantastic Genesis songs, which deserve, even to this day, to be listened to by everyone. Mm. The good on this album more than does enough to wash away the bad. That's great. Um, All Music gave it a five out of five. That was the official review by one person who kind of writes the review, the overall review and gave he gave okay. it a five out of five and we've right. actually okay. heard from him before on the show this guy i still don't know how to pronounce his name Stephen thomas erlewine <laughs> oh, okay. erlewine uh, oh yeah yeah i remember yeah that guy. he's he's yeah he writes some pretty good reviews uh the user rating kind of like Prague archives but on all right. music but the user rating is a 4.5 out of five from uh, you know over 2600 users so wow um he he gave a lot to say. I love reading all of the reviews, but there's just not enough time, so I'll just give kind of excerpts. Um, he said, in retrospect, this first uh, the first LP plays a bit more like the first Gabriel solo album than the final Genesis album, but there's also little question that the band helps form and shape this album, with Brian Eno adding extra coloring on occasion. While Genesis shines as a group um, on, the impressionist, uh, on the impressionistic second half in every way it's a considerable lasting achievement and it's little wonder that peter gabriel had to leave the band after this record they had gone as far as they could go together and could never top this extraordinary album Hmm. so i thought that was interesting he thinks he thinks that this record is the pinnacle of genesis it it sounds like that based on the end like you know you can't go past this with what you guys have done there's nowhere else to go as a group because you've just kind of done it all uh it's just kind of a, a fairly I don't know if the right word is audacious, but kind of an audacious thing to say. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't do anything better because this is just that good or something. But wow. Um, you know, another user on all music uh, had a review and he said, this is the crown achievement of the prog rock genre. Not just wow. Genesis, which I was very Dude. interested to hear uh, he, later on. He says a bunch of things. Um, well, I'll go ahead and read them. I feel that uh, one needs to hear the live version found on the archives collection for a full appreciation of this rock opera. A few lucky ones among us perhaps had the opportunity to see the live performance and they can just close their eyes and relive the experience. During the live performances, Peter would shed light as to the setting of each piece and introduce additional lyrics that did not fit into the songs. 
You can look at those bits and uh, recitatives. As such, the album, as brilliant as the music is, has the same limitations that a CD of a classical opera would present. This guy's saying that you really kind of had to see the live performance to fully appreciate fully this understand it yep. and i think I that's actually i've referenced him before but uh Redbeard, it's a guy who interviews a lot of uh oh, or has great. in the past interviewed yeah. a lot of um progressive rock pioneers and he doesn't do just prog rock he does a lot of rock uh in general just classic um you know rock music and, and all that but he, he reviews a fair amount of prog bands as well and uh he did one on the lamb lies down on broadway and he mentions in there he said i think the consensus among genesis fans is that you really had to see the group live and it uh, looks like this guy in this review agrees with that particularly with this album um so that's that's really interesting and uh i i i tried finding some footage of them playing live on youtube or something and i could not nothing of good quality i found mm-hmm. some that was in really horrible quality um like so bad that it honestly you could hardly make out what was what uh it's kind of like a picture of bigfoot you're like is that i don't know um yeah 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 no that's good (laughs) but uh so i think that's kind of the thing about this live tour in general for this record is that it was like whoa it was really an experience and they didn't really capture any good footage of it if i'm wrong someone please who's listening to this episode yeah let me know i'd love to see it because it's very interesting to me that so many people hold the live performance in such high regard, and yet it's hard to document that. I mean, I just haven't seen very much documentation of it, you know, yeah. visual anyways. So um, so that guy says it was the crown achievement of prog rock genre in general, which is pretty crazy. Um, in 2014, Readers of Rhythm magazine voted it the fourth greatest drumming record in the history of progressive rock. What? Isn't that crazy? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'd agree with that, but I know. Isn't that crazy? Just to think that somebody would put it that regard is uh, is impressive, right? Uh, I thought it was just interesting. Also, reading these reviews, that a lot of people seem to think that the album makes no sense, but a lot of those same people admit that they aren't bothered by it. A lot of these same people, right. are like, I don't get it at all, and I could not care less. Yeah. I do well, not care the, that yeah. it doesn't make sense. The music is just so good. It's interesting that the music can kind of overshadow the kind of blatant incoherence. Yep. Uh, and I have to agree. Um, but I <laughs> there's like a, there's like a fine line there, isn't it? At least there, for you. There is, and also I'm just gonna do it just because I feel like this is just gonna be a running gag on the show. But like, you compare this with Pawn Hearts, which we notoriously are not huge fans of, and everyone else in the world seems to like. So, yeah. um, I just think it's that's okay. kind of funny, by the way. Everyone, I, I know. I mean, it, it's just I know, it's just funny to me. But with Pawn Hearts, it doesn't really make sense. I'm sorry, it doesn't make sense without really diving into it. Probably similar with this, but I'm not bothered by this as much because I think the music is just better. And yeah, well, Delouse very... the Comatorium is kind of like that, too. We did that record. Well, that's true. That's true. Well, yeah. Delouse is, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know what I mean? It takes a, it takes a little bit of deep, deep thinking. But even, right. even with this, I think, furthermore, even if you did, it still doesn't really make sense. I mean, I like you know. were saying, that some of the people that were looking this up, and they're like, you know, they, they did the research. They went and read this stuff and read this stuff. Even if they take all the effort, they still haven't come to a conclusion. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. 
<laughs> yeah. So here's here's the pitch. So so here's the pitch. Um, I I think the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway provides at least the tiniest bit of coherence to put a vivage in my head, at least within individual songs. I don't know if that makes any sense. So maybe that as a whole, sense, I'm yeah. kind of like it's hard to connect. But like there are like like Pond Hearts and DeLoust, like DeLoust is, I think, great with the musical component. But like even in the song, I have no idea what you're singing about. I have no idea whatsoever. Yep. Yeah. At least with this, something like the Lamia, the lyrics, like I can see a vivid image and I get an idea of the world that they're in, at least within that song. It gives mm. me a sense of atmosphere yep. and a description of what they're like, right? Three vermilion snakes, a female face, the smallest motion filled with grace, muted melodies fill the echoing hall, but there's no sign of warning in the siren's call. Like you get this idea that they're kind of these weird sexual creatures but they're snake-like and it almost seems kind of like yeah like there's a bit of like maybe i don't know greek or greco-roman mythology put in there as well and you can kind of get this sense of like danger but also enticing nature to these creatures Mm. that he's encountering called the lamia like i can kind of get behind that as to what the heck he's doing there how he got there what Per, like specifically right. yep. they're supposed to represent in his journey the the main character rail i i would have to do a bit more digging but at the very least i get an image and there's a bit of coherence at least within that one individual piece yeah no, that makes you know sense. what i mean yeah, whereas no, like I, I, others I other like with pawn hearts and like maybe even deloused i don't I, I don't know where you're i don't i'm not in a place right now i'm not yeah. in this world you've created in even in this one particular song lyrically i don't know if any of that makes sense yeah well lyrically primarily lyrically primarily okay okay but um one one last thing for the reviews list of uh, on rolling stones list of 50 sorry 50 greatest prog rock albums of all time it's number nine it made the top 10 and that's saying something i think that's so it's such it's so interesting how if I ask, if I, I don't know, I've never heard anybody put Lamb Lies Down on Broadway yeah. in their top, like if I, I ask people all the time, especially with people joining our Discord, one of the first things I ask them is, where are you from? What's your favorite prog albums? I've never seen Lamb right. Lies Down on Broadway on that list. It's either Selling England by the Pound, Foxtrot, those two make the list all day long. But yeah. Lamb Lies Down on Broadway is a, in my opinion, a hidden gem. I really do believe it's a hidden gem. I don't think it's talked about or, or highlighted enough at least in Genesis's, Genesis's, wow, discography. Um, I think it's one of those that you don't, like maybe you wouldn't even think of until you mention it. Like when you say The Lamb and you talk to a, a Genesis fan, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I got a lot yeah. to say about that. And it could be yeah. good and it could be bad, but it's just a very, it's a very interesting record. Yeah. It's a no. very, very interesting double album. Yeah. So let's, let's I'm going to take a look at, uh, something that i found here and in fact i'll i'll uh, open this for a quote for you i think this i think this may sum up something for you here uh oh by the way if anybody wants to check out uh, our episode that we did on pond hearts by vandergroff generator or delouse in the comatorium by the mars volta we did that for episode 18 and then 22 if you guys are interested in that oh uh, fun, also fun records fun records yes and fun fact deloused was number 25 on the 50 greatest and pond oh wow was 26 oh wow okay so they were right next to each other which i thought right was really there. Crazy. Um, That's and crazy. Yeah. Also, super fun fact: uh, Lateralis was number thirty-three. So. And we were also on that record. Yeah. So. Wow. Anyway. That's cool. Okay. We- <laughs> no, that's great. I have. I, um, there, we have. 
man, this is a double album. There's a lot of content in this record, so we're going to try and get through it as much as we can, um, and especially with the concept. I have a, uh, a book, and, it was, and lending to what you were talking about with the live shows, I think this is really going to help us because there's not a whole lot of great footage, but there's a book um, that I'd love to read just the first three pages of, um, because I think it's gonna be—I think it's gonna be worth it. It's called *The Genesis and the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway* by Kevin Holm Hudson. You can find the hardcover online for about 135 U.S. dollars. But guess what? I have a copy. So there is just uh, there's just so much great content in here on the on the tour of the band, who Gabriel is, and what he did because he was a he was interesting uh, for, for what for what he did for Gabriel. If you don't know the why it was so interesting and the purpose of the record and so i wanted to read i wanted to read some of this to you if that's okay drew i feel like you're gonna do it anyways so i'm gonna do it anyways and and let me let me let me say this i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you this here is a quote from peter gabriel in march of 1973 he says this i do like to have the detail there so if anyone did want to spend their life rooting around the lyrics it would be like a little paper chase for them very unnecessary but great fun yeah. So it's almost like he just didn't care. Right. In uh, terms of... Yeah. That's so interesting. That's cool. I know. He's like, I, I, I do know what it's about. Uh, yeah. But it's not going to matter to you, I guess. It's just going to take a little extra work from you if you want. Ex- exactly. So it's great. But here, I want to read you uh, just the first the first three pages of this. And it's a... Uh, this is a first first account. Um, so there, it's uh, written in first person here for the most part of it. Maybe I'll go ahead and write uh, dive into this. I think this will give everybody a good, great contextual reference to uh, 1974 and The Lamb and Peter Gabriel. So here, here we go. The crowd files into Los Angeles's Shrine Auditorium on a cold January evening in 1975. It's the familiar audience for the mid-'70s progressive rock concert, mostly white college-age males. The group they have come to see, Genesis, has not yet received widespread airplay in the U.S. The band had played L.A. only once before, a storied three-night stint at the Roxy back in December 1973. Based on those shows and a handful of other performances in the large East Coast cities, New York, uh, Philadelphia, Miami, as well as a handful of important collegiate markets like Boston's Tufts University and Michigan, the audience had heard stories of a British band with an epic theatrical sound and strange songs about watchers from the skies and ancient Roman hermaphrodites. They knew something of this group singer who would tell tales of a senile lawnmower or a malevolent sex-obsessed ghost named Henry or portray the spirit of Britannia herself. He wore his long, dark hair with a prominent bald spot shaven in front, and he was also known for donning flower masks and fox heads. There was still something of a novelty to their show. It was a bit like a cross between Yes and David Bowie, people said. A cult attraction. All the same, audience members expecting to see an elaborate set of some sort of Yes were in for a surprise. The stage was starkly minimal for the 1970s concert standards, with even the amplifiers hidden from view. Writing in Circus Magazine, Ron Rice described it this way in 1974. Where groups from the Who to ELP impressed their fans visually with wall of amplified thunder machinery, Genesis's set is virtually bare of electric equipment. Steve Hackett and Mike Rutherford amps are so well hidden their music often appears to emanate from the air itself. No mountains of synthesizer technology surround Tony Banks. 
aside from the panoramic three-part slide screen and a little old rock formation at the center of the stage, the most striking, quote, prop is Phil Collins' beautifully complete and well-ordered drum kit. It is almost a sculpture in it itself, but, of course, its function is strictly musical. When Genesis took to the stage, their charismatic frontman, Peter Gabriel, was wearing none of the fanciful accoutrements that they had distinguished earlier uh, Roxy appearance. Instead, he looked much like any no-nonsense pub rocker of the mid-70s, wearing a black leather jacket and jeans, his famously long hair cut short. Instead of the glam-like fluorescent eyeshadow and lipstick he had worn for the shows on the previous tour, his only makeup this time was his skin base to darken his complexion and a dab of football player-style blackener below his eyes. As the crowd hushed in anticipation, Gabriel addressed the crowd before a note was even played. He said, Good evening. We've written a big lump of story and music, and we'd like to play the whole thing for you tonight. It tells of how a large black cloud descends into Times Square and straddles out across 42nd Street, turns into a wall, and sucks in Manhattan Island. Our hero, named Rael, crawls out of the subways of New York and is sucked into the wall to regain consciousness underground. Underground. This is the story of Rael. And with that, with the Tony Banks now familiar electric piano trills introduce the title song and the group launch into their new release, a double album dramatic work entitled The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. The show was like anything Genesis had done before, surprising even fans who were familiar with the group's previous music. The purpose of the minimal staging was then made clear. The focus was on the audience's attention on Gabriel as he acted out the role of Rael. Even more unusual, the group had decided to begin the show with this new, largely unfamiliar 90-minute opus in its entirety. Even with the excessive standards of the 1970s rock shows, this was a risky undertaking. Only Yes on their Tales of Topographic Oceans tour had previously attempted introducing so much new material to their audience without the relief provided by, quote, the hits, or at least, or at least older, more familiar material. And Yes had failed. After only a few shows, the group was forced to begin their concerts with familiar material, moving to the complete Tales at the end of the show. And eventually, they were forced to edit down Tales itself for the live performance. And yes, of course, were one of the top progressive rock concert draws of the 1970s, with two top 10 albums prior to the release of Tales. Although The Lamb had been released about five weeks prior to this performance, it is a fair assumption that this music would be completely new to most of its audience who had come to the show out of curiosity regarding the group's reputation. Compared to the prog rock giants such as Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, or Yes, Genesis was still regarded as an underground group with no hits to to uh, to speak out of uh, sorry, no hits to speak of stateside. How would their story of an American street punk named Riel and his strange journey into a metaphysical realm of the subconscious be received? As it turns out, very well. While Tales of Topographic Oceans never quite recovered from its critical vilification heaped upon both the album and the tour that followed, even today it symbolizes an excessive, uh, the excesses of prog rock's golden years from 1969 to 77. The reputation of The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway has steadily increased over the years. Although the album never received only Luke... Um, oh shoot, where am I at here? Uh... Only lukewarm uh, reputation at the very beginning of its career, as it rep uh, gone forward, the shows got increasingly more popular throughout time. 
And I just think that right there is such a cool story and, and just the way that they set up the how they set up the live shows, what the, what the concert was really focused on. I just thought that that was really, really neat, and I wanted to read that. I hope that yeah, was Yeah, okay. no, I'm glad you did. That's really cool. I, I mean, you know, I, I had never, I you know, I hadn't heard that. I mean, you're the one who read that. You told me you were going to read that on the show today. I was yeah. very curious as to what it was going to, to be. And, uh, yeah, I... I think that's really interesting that it was almost like a theater piece in a way, you know, he's, and he has a bunch of different costumes that he had used previously. And I mean, even in this show he does too. Um, right. Right. Yeah. And that's very interesting. And I, I feel like seeing that back then was just, you just didn't see it that often. I mean, no. it's a rock group and even for yeah. prog rock, even for prog rock, you didn't, you didn't see something kind of that, Oh, it's so interesting because the the it's almost kind of like kind of art house in a way, kind of like oh, it is character yeah. in it. But at the same time, the music's really good. The music is really strong. Really good. Like it's pretty. I mean, you know, like a lot of people say it's hit or miss, and I'll agree with that. There are some moments in here that I can probably do without. But on the whole, this has some really excellent song compositions. Yeah, I mean, some really excellent ones, and so and they're songs that I feel like people who enjoy prog rock at least would really dig yep. for the most part i mean you yep. know so um it's kind of interesting that it's art house which can be kind of alienating but the a lot of these melodies are very catchy like, Yo, they, yeah they are you know i would like, agree i mean counting out time and even lamb lies down on broadway, on broadway. like yep. that's yeah i can get into that that's very you know yeah uh, i can sing along with that so it's pretty interesting that they kind of combine those two things but i I'm I'm surprised with you, Destin, that they, or, or and the re, you know that it was able to be so that it was so successful. That's what I that, was. Thinking. That it I wasn't was, like, was like a what? bust of a tour. I was exactly. kind of expecting with something like this, it would be like that was a bad. It was tour. horrible. Yeah, it was it was bad. It it no. didn't end up well. I remember seeing an interview with Mike Rutherford, and he was saying it actually went pretty well. And I don't think he really kind of expanded upon that, but they, he did say, "Oh yeah, it." it was new material for everyone. They hadn't heard this yet. This was exactly. not like the album came out and then we did like, they actually, I think started doing some of the, like a lot of the material before it was even actually released or at the very least, like right after it was released. Right. So when they're doing this, not only had they not played this stuff live very much, people weren't really that familiar with it from a, a, the studio cut perspective. Yeah. From listening to it on the record, this was totally new stuff. And the fact that it went well with how bizarre some of that material is. I mean, it's good. I like it, but it's, it's also kind of bizarre. And also the costuming is kind of bizarre. And Oh my gosh. Yeah. Go look that. that up on YouTube. You can find a video. I, I found one. It's like the costume. Thank you for Peter showing Gabriel. me that by the yes. way. The pet, the costumes of Peter Gabriel, dude, he, dude, the dude was, we the dude was a 1970s was lady Gaga. Yeah, like just I mean, weird it was so fashion. weird because yeah. when I think of Peter Gabriel, I don't think of like, I don't know, the term glam rock doesn't come to my mind like it does with David Bowie or something like Prince or something like that. Right. But he was pretty similar as far as the level of flamboyancy that he yep. displayed on stage. I mean, really weird stuff. He'd be shirtless a lot of the times. He would yep. wear the Slipperman you know, costume, dude. Yeah, well, the Slipperman costume is weird. He's also dr dressed up as the the Lady Fox that you see on yep. Foxtrot on that record. By the way, right? Funny, so, funny thing about that—that's his like. In order to get that right, the, the fox head, and that's his wife's dress. He wore his 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 yeah. wife's dress with a fox head. Like that's <laughs> that he chose yeah. to do this stuff. It's crazy. He, he's he's a very um, 
out there kind of guy, and he was really into visual stuff. Um, I think he always really enjoyed film. He's always enjoyed the arts in general, and you can tell that he just does a lot of he does a lot of things with art. And I think he's really into a lot of experimental art. Yeah. Um, you know, later in his career, he started. If I'm if I'm remembering this right, because I actually didn't even prepare it for this record. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. He did Womad, yeah. World of Music, Arts, and Dance. Um, oh wow! Which I is kind of that. a celebration. I think he actually set that up for charities around the world. He's a very he's a pretty altruistic guy. Uh, you know, he he I think contributes a lot and and sets up these events not only to celebrate arts and music and everything, but a lot of the proceeds go to different types of charities, if I'm not mistaken. That's cool. Um, so uh, yeah, he was really really out there. Um, and we may have mentioned that a little bit on Selling England by the Pound, but this record in particular has a lot more characters. And, and oh, you, you hear that on Selling England a bit, but this yeah, is like, I mean, okay, the, uh, got Dancing with the Moonlit Night, Night was the Britannia. The like Britannia. He would yeah, he would introduce himself. He'd be like, I'm gonna, you know, gonna sing right. this as Britannia. It was just weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, but with this, you know, you've got Rael and you've got his brother John and you've got the Slipperman and you've got uh, the Lamia yep. and everything. Yep. So it's interesting it, characters it's, throughout the... Right. And I thought it was interesting, just a side note. I'm pretty sure it's Rael is, and you can tell by the name, he's Puerto Rican. I believe So the fact is, that yeah. on there they said an American, like punk or whatever, or American gangster. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's because he came to him. Because it is set in New York, right? Yes. I mean, it's set yep. in New York. So... Well, New York amongst a month of other weird, maybe, worlds he went to in his mind or something, because yeah, the, the Lamia I and I don't know. Slipperman. Yeah, if, you want, if you want Drew to do a bonus episode on a deep dive using the vinyl sleeve as well as some other stuff that we find online, we may make that happen. We might do that, yeah. That would be interesting. I would, yeah. I would be curious to hear about it. Yeah, I would too, because I haven't done that much research. I'd be very neither. I would. Like I mean, yeah. Dig into it. Um, there's this, there's a certain point where you reach where you just kind of like, is it even worth going this deep? For down just, the rabbit hole. Yeah. yeah, down the rabbit hole for a podcast. And I'm like, no, there's other stuff that's more interesting. <laughs> it was kind of the, it was the same thing with the Laos. It was just kind of like, it's just oh, we can man. skim it. But that like, is dense. It is dense, but it, I mean, even even with Lamb Lies Down. Like, uh, I mean, because I've I got the I got the vinyl pulled up right here, and of course it's a double vinyl. It, you know, it's a two disc, and uh, so there's you know you have the open you have the bi what, what do you call it? bifold, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's, you got the bifold, and you got the whole thing. The whole thing inside of it is just photos and text. That's all it is, and it's the, and the entire story, it, all written here. Fun fact: and I don't think Phil Collins crazy. ever read that whole thing. I'm not oh, kidding. Dude, fun and, and, and it, yeah. In an interview, he was like, "I never read that." No, like, I, I think I, he, I think he said that this was his least favorite. And and here's the reason. And here's the reason why I think is that. And, and I, this is what I found fascinating about the the, the book excerpt that I, when I was reading this, it was like nothing on stage. Peter Gabriel was the show. Well, yeah, and that's what I was going to kind of get into with the the history of this record, yeah. and context, yeah, all of that. Should we? Shall we? Dude, go ahead. Please go ahead. Because I'm, I'm so. Yeah, this is so interesting to me. Like the way they had this set up and him acting out all these characters and doing all that stuff. It's, it's interesting. I think this was kind of a mixed bag for the group. I really do think it was, and for audiences too. I I don't even, I don't even know if, if the whole phrase "you either love it or you hate it" is appropriate here, because it's Uh, such a mixed bag. Because 
I'd be shocked if you heard through this whole record and there wasn't one song that you enjoyed on there. It's pretty eclectic. Um, it's Genesis. It's definitely Genesis. Yep. Um, but there's a lot of variety on this record. Yeah, um, I would agree. But for, even for the group, I think it was kind of a mixed bag. I think some of them, all of them are kind of like, yeah, this was good. Yeah, this thing I could have done without. And it's a very interesting record in the repertoire. And especially because, as you know, finally getting to it after all this preamble, that this was Gabriel's last record with them. Right. That right. it was his swan song, if you will. Um, so I, I think what you were talking about with his costumes, it got to be a little much for the group. There were a, a variety of reasons Gabriel left. There were a lot of reasons. And I don't think it was, in fact, as far as band breakups go or departures from such an integral piece, an integral uh, member, it wasn't very acrimonious. I think there were some irritations. There's obviously a reason Probably. to leave, and some of that is definitely due to personality differences. So obviously yeah. there's going to be a couple of feathers being ruffled. But in general, compared to something like Pink Floyd or the Beatles, yeah, you know, or, you know, with Yes even, you know, Bill Bruford being pissed at Squire and all that. Like, I think it was fairly okay. I mean, at least in retrospect, maybe during the time it was really bad, but watching these kind of retro, these interviews where they, they look back on it and they're talking about it. And maybe they just want to save face because they know a lot of people are watching it. Who knows? But, you know, I, I know that, um, you know, Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel both were like, yeah, no, like we're still good friends. Like I've yeah. played, like Phil Collins was like for free. I played on his records, like didn't charge him anything after, you know, when he did a solo record, his solo yeah. albums after, you know, and he's been to my wedding. I've been to his yada, yada, yada. Um, but I do think his, his presence was a bit much, his stage presence was a bit much for, for everyone. I think it really kind of irritated Phil a lot too. Um, I mean the other members a little bit too, but it was already kind of like a lot for them. And then this, this one, especially with the colony of Slipperman, if you've ever, again, I encourage you guys, like Dustin said, to go like look at these costumes that he wore. Mm-hmm. It was just it was dominating the essence of the show rather than the music. Yep. And yep. that was a problem for the rest of the band, and I can understand. It's like, hey, like we want people to appreciate the music, and they're really just here to kind of you know look at the spectacle that is Peter Gabriel and his costumes, and that's not what our band is. Yeah. And that's not all that our music is, you know, like there's more to it than just this. So I think that was a big part of it um, that he kind of eclipsed the actual music they were performing. A lot of reviewers, like when they reviewed it, were like, this show is great. If you want to see Peter Gabriel, Gabriel this, Gabriel that, like he's the yeah. real, he steals the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, listen to what, listen the, to what Gabriel has to say about this. This is interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, because th- this is just to add to what you're saying. According to Gabriel, um, and this is a quote by him. None of the members of Genesis knew what clothing he had packed in his suitcase for the six-month Lamb tour until he arrived to rehearsals. After the last performance oh, yeah. of the tour, right, then Gabriel left the band. Tony Banks said this on Gabriel's departure in an interview after they left in 1975. Pete was also getting way too big for the group. He was he was being portrayed as if he was the man, and it wasn't like that. It was a very difficult thing to accommodate, so it was actually a bit of a relief. Yeah, I think I read that too somewhere. I, yeah. I don't have it written down, but I'm pretty sure that yeah, that, yes. Um, it's it was too much. He he, it, he well, was being was, too and, much. And it was funny because uh, Mike Rutherford also said 
you know, he was like, if, if he had asked us, like, what do you think of me doing this costume? We would have said no. So right. was, he, and he, no, and he knew that he knew I mean, even he admitted that. Yeah. Fred, even, even Peter admitted that he didn't he tell like, him. Yeah, he didn't I tell didn't him that he was bringing on. Cause he on was the, like, I knew the that the they'd say no. And I wanted to do it. So I'm just going to dress up like this and it's, you know, I'm going to do some weird motions when I'm a slipper yeah. man and really make some unconventional theater almost <laughs> in a way, right. you know, to no, this, seriously this, though, this rock music. So, um, and, and you can see based the division between Gabriel and the group was not just on the stage. It was also in writing the record, um, which, you know, yeah, Phil Collins uh, said that the album was written with, with Peter in one room, writing lyrics, yep, maybe yep. some vocal melodies while the rest of the band was in another room, writing the rest of the music. Yep. So uh, yep. this album That's really exactly did seem right. to signify a division. Um, and you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I'm always saddened when an amazing group loses a member uh, that helped contribute to the magic, you know. Um, oh, definitely. You really like a band when it has all your favorite people, you know, and all that. Yeah. So Roger Waters, the Pink Floyd. Hey, absolutely. All of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think on top of all of that, uh, you know, we're kind of ganging up on Peter a bit saying that, you know, he was, you know, kind of consuming the group and, and all that kind of stuff. Um I don't I necessarily kind of think bad. it was toxic, though. I don't think that he was like making it. I think no, he I was. Don't... I think he was just doing what he, who he was. I think he was just being expressive in the way. That, I just, I just think that it was like, you know, th- there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but like, go do that somewhere else. You know what I mean? Well, no, absolutely. And that's the thing is like, you got to realize that that this is a group and it's not you, right? And and yep. that's kind of consuming. Well, on top of that, I do I do feel bad for for Gabriel, uh, for Peter Gabriel, because he he had a child around this time, and I think even in interviews, I don't know if it was Mike Rutherford or if it was if it was Phil Collins, but I think one of them said, "Yeah, we weren't very supportive." There were some times where, like, he was you know he was driving back and forth to visit his wife, and then also performed with the group and he was torn between those two things at 24 and, years old by the way and i think they were kind of dicks about it in a way they were like and i, I kind of get it it's like look we need to write this record there's money on the line like it's gotta happen and we need you to do it like it's important but at the same time it's like dude this is the most important thing in someone's life it's having a child and they were like yeah but it's really kind of irritating to us and it was a difficult situation. I, I don't know. If I, maybe I'm being too harsh, but it was it was a difficult situation. But I don't think he got a lot of support from the rest of the group when he was like, "Hey, I'm having a kid. Like this record's great. It's a cool project, but I'm having a child." Um, <laughs> right. My wife's having a child and all of that. So, you know, I think he was. They were kind of irritated in a way that his time was being taken up with that with the child, yeah. and they they wanted they they weren't at that stage in life. They weren't at that yep. stage in life. Oh, that's, and they that's were like, exactly this is, right. This is where we are is writing this record. It. Yep. Yeah, um, I find so, it interesting. I find it interesting that the way that they word this stuff online too is that Gabriel left. It's not that they kicked him out. He left. Right, exactly. This wasn't, hey, get the heck out. He right. he, he decided in fact, he yeah, he decided. came to them. Yes. He came to them during and the I think tour. Steve the tail Hackett, end of the tour. Yeah, I think even Steve Hackett was like, he had sometimes been dramatic and Peter can be like that. In fact, when he first told us, I think it was like, ah, it's not really going to happen. And then, whoa, it happened. 
right you know like we didn't think he was serious when he said it to be honest like we thought that maybe you know after a couple more weeks of touring it'd be fine no he was like i'm out and that actually happened they were very shocked um you know i think tony banks when you see him interview he's just very <laughs> removed i was gonna uh, i was gonna say like stoic but yeah is that i was gonna say calculated yeah, uh, or, or I don't even know if cold's the right word because you know I'm sure he cares, but um, he just he's, he's very matter of fact. He yeah. said that he thought the lyrics were very conceptual and they pertained only to the story that it was it was difficult for them to play material from that album out of context. So he's like, yeah. that's I think part of the reason we have an issue with this album. In hindsight, is like playing stuff from this record. There there aren't very many tracks on this record that we can play out of context. So like yeah, it was great for that tour, but for future tours, which songs are we gonna pull from this record to play? Mm, yeah, not right, very right, many. Right. It's hard to play songs about rail and snakes and yeah. brand parades of lifeless packaging out of context since you know it's not gonna resonate with the audience. You know, like yeah. So that um, makes sense. there's also I mean you talked about I talked about drumming and you were very shocked. Um, it's not that it's bad. I don't want to say that it was bad. Like I actually I well, like. I like Phil's drumming on this record, but like, number, what did you say? Number four? No, no. Yeah, I don't know about I don't know about that. Yeah, I, I think well, there are plenty of Bill Bruford and Neil Peart performances that would top that, or Gavin well, Harrison. I, I bring that up because now, granted, the list was written I think back in 2014, but no, yeah, even Gavin no, Harrison was still even, pretty popular. Even still, no, yeah, uh, but I don't know about that. Um, Phil Collins himself, as well as other reviewers I had seen around, uh, had said that this album was kind of the peak of his drumming career or this era of his life because mm. he even said phil himself he said honestly like this was ambitious drumming uh aside from brand x this was probably my most impressive drumming, or like around this time like i was at a place where people knew that i was an excellent drummer and this was a record that definitely demonstrated that that's awesome so uh i found that pretty interesting too um, yeah. They also recorded a fair chunk of this, if not all of it, um, at Headley Grange. I don't know if people know where that is. It's it's in Hampshire, England, hmm. and it's the same place that Led Zeppelin recorded uh, a couple of their tracks, including the famous "When the Levee Breaks," which is how John Bonham gets that legendary epic sound on his kit. Is they recorded it in the foyer of this this Headley Grange, Grange mansion, and that's where you get that really open, spacious sound, cathedral sound, yeah. <laughs> and it just is so big it's not like a bunch of stuff they did in post or anything like that it was just the sound of the space that they were in um but i thought it was really interesting too because like a, a lot of popular acts had been there i mean you know um like like led zeppelin and then genesis and i think uh, i'm not gonna say because I, I don't know but I, other classic rock groups okay. had been there as well and almost all of them, including Genesis, were like, I'm pretty sure that place was haunted. It was creepy. <laughs> and Phil Collins was like, there were rats everywhere. Like, it wasn't like, oh, Holy they crap. scurried. What was that? No, they would, like, you would blatantly see them out. The ghost of, of John they, Bonham lives there. Yeah, well, he wasn't dead yet. But yes. That's true. Uh, no, I'm just joking. But um, <laughs> the, it was it was, uh, it was was like a creepy place. And they, I, you know, they, they stayed there because it was kind of a remote place. And they were like, we're not going to drive all the way back to town. You know, like, we're just going to. We're going to stay here. And they were like, this is a creepy place. This is a That's really creepy weird. place. Um, additionally, I think Steve Hackett felt kind of boxed out with this record. And I can understand, as you listen to this record, 
there aren't very many guitar parts that really shine. Uh, if you're, I mean, there are, there are some, but there are 23 songs. And yeah. out of that 23, the majority of them, the moments that stick out, honestly, are the vocals and the keys, keys. and the drumming and the bass. Like the, the guitar just doesn't really get a lot of highlight time to shine. Yeah. A lot of highlight yeah. on this record. But it's very textural. So. I mean, it's still Steve Hackett still does a great oh, it's job. Still There's great. still a lot of textural stuff in there. Um, the fit, it's but still yeah, great. You're right. you're right. I just feel bad. Cause I think, you know, he kind of felt a little boxed out. Um, yeah, but he has wind stuff. and weathering, so it's okay. But yeah, exactly. But no, it's, <laughs> uh, still the guitar parts that are on here are excellent. I mean, this, this really does have a lot of phenomenal music on it. Yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of the music, you want to talk about some of this music? Um, I, yeah, I guess Dude, this is because this music, is, <laughs> I mean, we've been talking about Shoot. it for like um, 45 yeah, minutes now on, uh, you know, the history and, and, and everything but the actual music yeah. yeah yeah the actual music so so we're actually uh, there, you know it's a double album there's like 94 minutes of music 23 minutes or 20 23 minutes 23 songs and uh, so that's you know it's hard for us to break all that down or even go through some of it so we're gonna we're gonna have a fun little segment should we call it a segment drew like sure i don't know okay yeah so, so we'll call it we'll call it a segment and the name of this segment is called delve it or shelve it Okay, so delve it or shelve it. We're just going to go through like a couple of moments on this record. Uh, we'll play them for everybody so you can hear it and we'll talk a little bit about it. And then we'll just give our opinion on whether we want to delve into this idea or shelve it. So this is delve it or shelve it. Delve it or shelve it. Yeah, that's 15 minutes yeah. sitting in front of a keyboard. You can come up with all kinds of crap. Shoot. Um, yeah, probably less than that. God, who knows? So anyway, uh, do you want to start or me? Like, what, what, what do you want to what do you, do, do? I don't know. We honestly didn't even discuss this. Do we want to like you go? Dude, well, through, here, I want to go. Yours, I want to hear yours. We'll, we'll alternate. We'll alternate. Okay, but we'll go back let's start forth. with you. Let's start with you because I'm, I, oh, I love this song so much. And I love the moment that you picked for back in nyc back in new york city so let's play this let's play this real quick and then i want you to talk about it for a little bit Keyboard, that keyboard sound though, that that is so good. Yeah, I this is like a, a very that. heavy keys, drums, and vocals song. Um, and, and the vocals th throughout this. Say again. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say the vocals throughout this whole record. I I love. I absolutely adore. But particularly back in New York City, hits me hard like it always has ever since the first time I heard this record, I was like, Whoa, this, this song is like unreal. I love it. I love yeah. this song. The vocals are just so chaotic and the delivery is like so intense, intensely emotional. 
Mm. But it blends so well with that repetitive keyboard riff in the background. Mm. Uh, It's such an enthralling song. (laughs) The vocal effects, like even like it wasn't in the the section you just heard, but the ones that makes him sound like he's underwater and yet boxy. Yep. Oh, yeah. Like that's just so cool to me. And I'm pretty sure Brian Eno kind of added some bits of that. And then like the Grand Parade of Life is Packaging. packaging, Yep. what they call enosification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that. But uh, <laughs> really adds to the progressive element of this album. I think this is where I'm like, this is prog rock. This is, this is prog rock. This is yeah. kind of the epitome of it. So um, definite, I don't know. Definite there Delve. S- definite Delve. Definite, definite delve. Dev. Yeah. Shoot. I love that. Definite Delve. That's amazing. That's All what right. Dude- now yours. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right, so here is, uh, I'll, I'll play this little section of a song called In the Cage. Okay, I'm just, I love Tony Banks, dude. I love Tony Banks. And yeah, th- like the run, the run, and it like builds this crescendo and that high synth just holding there. And then boom, that organ comes right on top of that. And then well, this is. And the, the bass. Yes. Yes. And, like, and the. Collins, the yeah, the, the little the tom riff, which has like the very poppy, poppy sort of tom, doesn't have that like dead John Bonham tone. It's a very, very vibrant tone, oh, and yeah. like the dirty texture of those guitars with almost like. And here's, I think, one of my favorite parts about this moment is the the sine almost sine wave high note that holds, and then right with right before it goes, it. It dips down and starts art. It starts alternating right before the vocals come in, and then oh my god, like blend those like yeah that yeah exactly and blend that with the you know the triplet toms in there by Phil and then Peter Gabriel comes in singing on top of all of that like it's just an incredible section. It's so tense. It has such a buildup and it's weird because it's like you you know you have those moments where you know the bass drop you know you have the build and then the bass drop right. And it's interesting because it's like, for me, like it builds, builds, and then it just holds for like 20 seconds. Yeah. Like one of the best moments on the definite delve. One of the best moments for me on the, on this album is, uh, is, is that part in the cage. Yeah. So that's good. awesome. So that's good. a really good part. It's so good. Anyway. Yeah. All right, here we go. Let's take a look at, uh, the colony of slipper men for you. Mm. 
Okay, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that's me too. The organ combined with the lead keys on top. He's so good. He's so good at creating great textures. He is. He's so good at the tone of those keys. Oh my gosh. It's like. It's it like we said it's a heavy keys record so like if you like yes if you like Rick Wakeman I don't understand why why you wouldn't why you wouldn't under or uh, what am I trying to say here appreciate. why you wouldn't like or appreciate yeah um, this record because of just the amazing amount of keyboard work that's on it um, I would put this up I would set I would set this record next to anything Rick Wakeman has done in terms of oh stuff that he yeah, yeah. anything uh, it's yeah. that it's that good well and the gosh dude the drums underneath the drums underneath i was listening to it that i was listening to like, it ever since you told me there's a fourth rated best drum like prog album of all time dude, i'm like okay the let me drums listen to underneath it. this part are un i honestly want to listen to it again but oh my gosh dude the china's like oh the china symbol he's hitting as well <laughs> uh, as the as well as just the regular crash and like later he does the ride and he, at the very end ding, 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 oh my this is one of my favorite moments in prog rock ever. Hands Whoa. down. Whoa, oh, dude. big statement. No, dude. That's a hot ever. take, Drew. That's a hot take. I'm not take. saying this record is in like my <laughs> top 10 or whatever. I'm not saying this record. This moment particularly, I will never, ever, ever get sick of. I could listen so to good. this all the time. It's so like, good. It's unreal. So like, this is a shelf for you, right? Uh, this is a delve, thank you. It's a definite delve. <laughs> That was my number two. Now you're I number two. It. I love it. Okay. Um, you did back in NYC. I'm gonna do another one for back in NYC as well. Here's here's another section. Okay, I, I okay, I love odd times, of course. When it comes in, that slight pause, I know, oh I, know my gosh. I know, I know. I it, it gets me. It gets me. And it's funny because you did the section right before this. You did this section yeah, I did. right before this. And so I love like the poking accents that align with Peter Gabriel's vocals. It's just sick, dude. Brown, I, brown, I think it was brown, hard for me dun, to pick dun, dun, a verse because I love dun, all yeah. the different verses. And oh, I love great. that that little oh. Like it, just the way he delivers it, man. I know. He has such I know. A chaotic voice, and like, it's so bizarre to me that I like it because it's really an acquired taste. It's it's not pleasant. It's not like Michael Bublé or Josh Groban. Your you know your crew or like you know Bing Crosby, like a crooner, a, a nice, very lovely voice. But oh my gosh, I love the character in his voice, and yeah. I just what what's the what's the part in there? Progressive hypocrites hand out their trash. Yeah. <laughs> place so i'll burn it to ash and i'm like yeah i can understand the whole like he really enjoys theater because it uh-huh. sounds like he's so charismatic bombastic with, all with this. it yeah yeah I just, it's crazy it's I, so I, I, good i love it, I love it. it's, it's melodically so 
catchy. Like that gets stuck in my head every day. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, comes right in. But then like it goes straight into that thing where they do the fill and then it pauses and then boom, just right into the crashes. Full guitars. It's so good. And the vocals on top. I love that too. I love all of it. Oh yeah, that's what I was talking about. Oh, that's so good! It's so <laughs> all over the place. Like it, it really is. is. It's it's this. See, and uh, this is this is to me like super prog rock. Like this is. this is so prog rock. There's so many elements, but they blend together so well. Yep, that's so hard to do. Going on the odd times, the switching of one bar, like they drop a beat on one of the bars, maybe two beats, um, but I think it's in seven. Maybe maybe they drop a one beat. Uh, to go to six for that little foot. Wait, dun, 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 dun. yeah, it's go to six. Um, but then also just the wide range, like the the literal musical range of where Gabriel is going, like yeah, it's just dun, 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 dun. like he's just going all over the place in a matter uh, of like no. thirty seconds within the song, and like that's just uh, it's so great, it's so interesting, and I'll never get tired of that song. It's one of the best. Uh, uh, that whole song i know we've talked about two moments on it but that whole song is good it's just oh, great yeah it's just great okay delve all right delve it delve it for Shoot. sure delve uh, it for my sure. my number three is very basic it's very basic it's not as like as much as like uh the uh, last ones we did back in new york city or, or colony of slipperman this next one is pretty basic yeah yeah, I know you, yeah, yeah. you're basic you're basic i think you're, think you're basic um, but it's just, it's just good. It's just groovy. You'll All right, here we it. go. Here we Dude, the freaking China that he's just playing right there is so good. Dude, best, the best. Like when he pushes, when they push the beat right there. Like, oh, okay. The push is amazing, but then on top of that, they add that super high falsetto. You know, like they have oh, like some yeah, weird, yeah. like almost like the, like the a ceiling. soprano woman in the background, kind of doing yes. this. Like, oh no, I love that. And I love in the background. There's also this weird kind of. Of like, do you hear that? Those like yeah. those. No, that's uh, what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking yeah. about right now. Like that little like sort of thing that's going on. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's weird, kind bad. of jittering of voices in the background on it. Like, but the thing oh, that really you know. grabs me about that, which by the way, I don't think we said this is from Here Comes the Supernatural Anesthetist. Yes. Um, it, the it is is the drumming. The dr- just. Oh yeah. Like the the way he works that hi hat and snare there, just. Oh my, oh my. It's this that's my that's my professor moment from Futurama. Oh my. Oh my. Shoot. Oh, oh good. Where am I now? Okay, sorry. Um that's so but yeah, good. very simple, but that part is just so groovy to yeah. me and I love it. 
Yeah, and it's one of the few moments that I think Hackett kind of gets to come out a little bit and uh, yeah. comes out from in the cage and uh, you know plays. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Shoot, that's you're. We gotta we gotta stop that. Yeah, we gotta get that sorry. That was that was good though, right? Shoot. Yeah. Anyway. All right. All right. That was that's good. I I love that. That's one of the few songs on the on the disc two um, that really really captivate me. Um, I, I would. I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. I think disc one of the lamb lies down on Broadway is flawless. Um, flawless. I, I don't think that there is a bad moment on the disc on disc one of lamb lies down on Broadway. That's, that that's, my, that's saying a lot. Yeah. It's a hot take, dude. It's a hot. That take. is a hot take. I can't, I can't, but like, yeah, I, I can listen to disc one all the way through and even getting into like Lily white Lilith, you know, the first song in the second disc, it, it starts, it's, it doesn't get bad. It just doesn't grab me as much as disc, the song. Some of the songs on disc one do. Um, okay. So far, which so far, every single one except for "Here Comes the Supernatural Anesthetist" is on disc one that we've mentioned so far. Is that right? Um. Yes. No. No. Slipperman. Slipperman's on disc two. Yeah, that's right. on disc two. Yeah. So anyway, all right, all right, all right. So I've been talking. I talked about uh, Mike Rutherford's bass playing, right? How I think it's at its finest when it comes to genesis material it's it's amazing and one of the one of my absolute favorite moments is is one of the riffs from the song called counting out time and i found a a uh, highlighted bass track that i created specifically for this because i want everybody to hear this this is one of my favorite riffs of him on this record check it out That's so melodic. He's going all like the range. Like, yeah, those slides are really good. They're really clean are too. So good, so clean. And the freaking Rickenbacker. You were mentioning this before the episode started, like pulling out that Rick and just oh, yeah. being a sick tone. Well, you hear it a bunch great. on this record. There's a lot of Rickenbacker moments that are oh, yeah. really iconic, I think, to the sound of a lot of these songs. Like even just the title track, like The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. Yep. yep. You know? like that's that rickenbacker i mean and i'm a sucker for that i'm an absolute sucker for oh that. me too i love the early rush stuff with the rickenbacker from getty lee i love chris yep. squire and the early yes stuff with the rickenbacker like i i love it so that's yeah. no, it's an amazing sound but i just it's counting on times one of my favorite songs from the whole album um but like i said i specifically chose this to show off mike rutherford's like best performance like on any That's Genesis awesome. record. I, I, I love it. And the bass track, I mean, honestly, the bass track alone is a song in and of itself. Like it really <laughs> does. Like it seriously is. And he has like, you know, he's going up and down the neck, throwing in little licks, but also what I really like as well. And if you pay attention to what he's doing with Phil, like there's a lot of rhythmic approaches in how he plays. Like there is sometimes where he'll push with Phil, like he'll, he'll match with him. And I love that kind of right. uh, uh, rhythmic harmony that's going on between the bass and the drums. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love it. And counting out time. 
especially on Gabriel's side as well. Not only just the bass, but Gabriel's performance on that track is awesome. And it's so, uh, it's catchy. Like it really is. It's catchy and it has a cool, yeah. Like cool little moments like that. And then he's singing on top of that. It's prog, man. It's prog. Counting yeah, the time. It's great. I feel like it's one of the more radio friendly tracks on the record though. Yeah. Is, yeah. So it's just yeah. really interesting. Definite but- delve. Definite delve. Nice. All uh, right. My number four is from the Chamber of 32 Doors. Yeah, dude, I'm, I, oh, my gosh. All right. Here we go. So here we, here go. we go. Here we go. With cool. everything that I hear and every single door that I've walked through. No, yeah, dude, that, man. That is an iconic, iconic yeah. moment. I love, and that's the well, last. I mean, song, it's last song I, on the disc one, which on disc I have one to that out there. I love the way his vocals just fill so much space. I mean, it's so obvious, right? I mean, when you're like at the, at the three minute mark, but I walk through, oh. you know, and the way it drifts into that huge crash and kick drum that that Phil puts in there. Yeah. And, and then, continues. you know, he sings on top of that and then he yeah. continues and he continues on that, you know, it's, it's so wondrous and spacey and almost haunting. And, uh, you know, I also love the little vo- voice crack and every, I was going to make that. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's I, I love the vocals in that part. And it's so big. And okay. The bells in the background, those yes! little tubular bells. Oh dude. Really help give this section like a sense of finality and a sense of severity. Like, like it's a crucial decision that rail is about to make to choose which door are you going to walk through? It's a decision that will echo through all of eternity. I, and dude. like, yep. It gives that sense. Those bells just make it so much more magnificent and it, intense. That had to have been a banks thing too. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, Maybe. I mean, I'm just thinking like from a textural perspective, like who would be the one who would add tubular bells? You know what I mean? Like, right, right, right. I don't know. Maybe it was Gabriel, but either way, that's it's yeah. Such a good section. Definite delve. Mm-hmm. Definite delve. Okay. All right, here we go. Here's, here's the next one for mine. Carpet crawlers. It's such, it has such a different feel from all of the prior songs before it. This song, and it, and I find it interesting too that the 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 melody of this song. I don't know if it's if it's echoing the first song or vice versa, but the it's so, and and I I think Phil Collins sings some harmony on this. But, oh yeah, you can tell. Yeah, but now like this is this is probably my favorite track on the album and they've performed this live uh like with phil phil collins has done this song live like out of context i don't they don't perform many of the other stuff but they do pull this one out 
Um, because I think it, I think it did. I don't know if it did get any radio time or anything, but I haven't really looked into that. But um, I chose, I chose this section because of when those drums come in, dude. Like, it's interesting because he's he's playing like he's playing full on drums. It's not like he's playing with brushes or anything. It's just that he's playing sixteen so notes. Light. I have it's so light, it's roomy, and it's mixed yeah. way back on the back. So it's almost like. It's still. It sounds like a train, in in some sort of sense. Like it's just yeah, chugga 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 chugga. Like and it's kind of it kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. train home by by Pat Metheny. By Pat Metheny. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Hi hat sort of thing, and it just kind of swifts through and and hack it with those just those bends and that slide <laughs> guitar in the background. Yeah, such great texture there. It's so great, and the chorus is incredibly catchy. But then of course, the really. I just I think they're just sweet, just the, the very sweet arpeggios uh, that Tony Banks is playing, and that, that you know, and again, the, the swell slides is just genius. Um, and honestly, the more I've listened to this album, the more I've noticed how utterly genius that Hackett Banks duo is. Like melodically, it's so different. Like they're they're both very different, but so interesting. And you can tell that they have a very different approach to writing. But they right. mesh, they mesh together and in a way that just makes Genesis Genesis. I agree. I one hundred percent agree. Very very interesting. Um, yeah. Very interesting musicians, especially Steve Hackett. I mean, he's not the typical. I don't know. I don't think people many. I don't think. I don't know. Maybe they do, but I don't. For me, Steve Hackett is not the the first person that comes to mind when I think of prog rock guitar players. Right. Um. Because normally guitar would have been. I don't know. I think I feel like it was more of a prominent instrument uh, in the time that stuff was going on. And you know, I've, I'm of course giving head nods to the David Gilmore solos and the Alex Lifeson stuff, and right, and and Robert Fripp and and Robert Fripp and and, and all of those guys. But uh, so he kind of sits back, but he's so creative and unique. And I I love Hackett for that. Oh, so that I, I've yeah. I've seen him twice, and he's phenomenal. Uh, he's yeah, he's great. He's, so anyway, he's great. He's he's freaking awesome so yeah carpet crawlers definite delve nice definite well delve. we're nearing the end of the list here this is my fifth and last uh delvet moment and it's from the last track it so catchy do that it, and that it's, it's real i love yeah. that love real, it it is right like that is so good those vocals are amazing i also just noticed this time it's funny that i i chose this and i'm just now figuring out something else i love about this is the drums in the background again the drumming yeah. is just amazing in this record um you know, and like you said, I don't think it's like really prominent because again, Gabriel and all, like the the keys are also just so iconic, and like even the bass lines and stuff like with Counting Out Time and stuff, mm -hmm. it's kind of like I don't know. I feel like the the drums can kind of be overlooked on this record, but man, I love them. There are so many really colorful, creative moments, 
and so yeah i chose this honestly initially for the vocals which is true i just absolutely love that section's so great um and i also think this is just a funny where my brain goes but when he's like because it's only knocking no but i like it it always reminds me of uh back in new york city because we're only as strong as the weakest link in the chain i just always think oh of wow yeah back in new york i've city. never made that connection i maybe because they both start with cuz and you know and they, they say only because we're only and then because it's only knocking no knocking no also yeah it just uh wow it, it it just reminds me of that. Uh, it has nothing. I'm sure there's no relation to those at all, but I just, it reminds me of that vocal part. So yeah, there's not a um, whole lot of musical motifs re- uh, regularly on this record. I mean, everything is uh, all kind of unique in its own, as you know, in its own regard right. for each, each individual track. Like I said, the, the melody of carpet crawlers is, is repeated in the very first song. Uh, the title track, lamb lies down on Broadway. There's a, there's one moment, I think towards the tail end, maybe two thirds into the song of lamb lies, um, that has the same melody as from Carpet Crawlers, but that's it. I think that's the only thing that I've heard that repeats. So, right. But anyway, all right, your last one. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Uh, this is, uh, it's funny enough, the only song from side two, uh, or rather <laughs> side four, disc two, that uh, that I have for mine. So let's check this out. This is Silent Sorrow and Empty Boats. It just it leaves me speechless. Like this little this little piece, I I had to choose this because of the sheer nostalgia. At least for me, it brings like it's placed. So it's placed on the album right for, right before this weird manic Slipperman piece, right? Um, but I love this. I mean, it's only three minutes because it almost reminds me of like an MMORPG fantasy loading screen or safe zone. And I was talking to you about this, Drew, about when I mean, you were like, yeah, 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 I remember. It sounds like this fantasy safe zone. Yeah. Like where you just go like and you're at, like you're at like the campfire. And yeah. It's, or you the, can or hang the out with the NPCs city. and like the yep. other, yep. Or the other yep. player characters, but like there's no, like you can't like attack or anything. Attack, like yeah, everything is all white. All you, can. you can't turn red. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's right. so great. And, uh, but furthermore, uh, this just, again, highlights the Hackett Banks melodic heaven to me. Just the, yeah. I, I, I wanted to show this section to show the vast use of dynamics. We've seen some pretty ridiculous stuff, but then it also gets really soft. I mean, just, you know, most, most concept albums do this, but it's just, I love the, um, uh, oh my gosh, what's the, uh, what's the instrument I'm thinking of here that he's using? Mellotron. Mellotron? Mellotron, yeah. Yeah, the Mellotron. Um, love that and the slides and the, the little chimes and stuff like that and how it fades. It's just I could listen to that on loop 
just all day because it's so peaceful to me. And I just, it, yeah, it sticks out to me every time. Also, I found this funny, and this was actually, this may not be the case, but I, I, this is an observation that I made that may or may not be true. This song probably was here to give Gabriel enough time to get his Slipperman costume on. Oh my gosh. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally right. Think about it. Like if they're playing this whole thing all the way through, and then I started looking at the other ones. I'm like, okay, what costumes were he using on this record? Right. Right. Um, yeah. Cause you have, uh, let's see here. Did he have, he had one for, uh, the Lamia. He had one for, uh, which, which, which is funny because here comes the super supernatural anesthetist has an instrumental section for like the last two minutes part of the song. There's a three-minute yeah. silent star of empty moats right before Slipperman, and right. uh, I can't think of anything else. Did he use any other costumes on this? I, I know he did, but well, the main ones I know are the Lamia, the Colony of Slipperman, and then just Rael, which is kind of the punk which jacket is, and the, yeah. the the face makeup too. He had kind of yeah. So yeah, that was I was thinking, I was thinking about that. I was like, that's probably why it was there, but I don't care. I thought it was great. Was like, that's really is, interesting. No, you're, awesome. that actually makes a lot of sense. Yep. Yeah. Why it's placed right there. So that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So first shelf. What's your What's your first shelf? My first shelf is, um, and we don't have audio clips of this because these are the moments that were just like just that doesn't seem that great. That's why we're shelving it. Um, the end of in the cage. So it could have just ended with a fade out, I feel like, and you wouldn't sure. lose anything else on the record. So like from 720 mark to the end, you know, it kind of, it like reappears. It's just, it just, but, but there's nothing really interesting about it. It, it just, it, it seems just superfluous and just kind of there. I don't hate it. I really don't hate it. It's not one that I'm like, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm going to skip this or anything. It's not that it, in, in fact, I mean, the mood it elicits is kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it makes me think of old timey gloom or something. That's the best description I can think of, but it doesn't really add anything to the album. I don't think so. For me, it's kind of a shelvet moment. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. That makes sense. Cause so, yeah. it's like two minutes of that, isn't it? It's like at least a full minute. It's yeah. at least a full minute of that. It yeah. just doesn't seem necessary. I gotcha. Okay. My, my shelvet moment is uh ravine, which it, which comes right after the, once again, <laughs> I, I guarantee you the reason why it, it, another instrumental piece it's it's a night like we had a nice instrumental section with with silent sorrow and and then slipperman comes in and then there's another little moment instrumental moment and once again I really do believe that the reason why it's there is so he can get out of the slipperman costume and then go back to Riel for the light lies down on Broadway. And so uh, I see it for the purpose of the live sense, but like to put it on the record, it didn't seem that it didn't seem necessary. To I see me. that. I, I see what you're saying. You know what yeah. I mean? Like in a live sense, like you can obviously pull stuff off like that. I mean, Dave Matthews does 17 minute versions of every song that they play. So right. there's, there's no issue with, with doing a little instrumental moment at maybe at the end of Slipperman or whatever, but to include it on the record, I just think is, uh, and I like the word that you use, which is superfluous. I think it was just kind of superfluous. So it's a, I usually skip it to get to, um, you know, Light Lies Down on Broadway because it's just two minutes of kind of, kind of dead air to me. Yeah. Uh, I see what you mean. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a shelf. It's a shelf for me. What nice. about you? Next one. 
All right, this is the second and last shell of it moment. Uh, and it's super obvious. It's like what we started the show with. It was, it was, it, it has to be mentioned though. I feel like I don't think many people really care for this part because it it's just experimental rather than melodic or musical. And I have to agree, it, it's kind of cool conceptually, but honestly, it goes on for a long time, for a long time. And I mean, it's a whole song. I, I like the idea of making the listener imagine something with this weird conglomeration of sounds. It's a cool experiment, but it's not good music, in my personal opinion. That's good. And no, that's for that good. reason, I have to shelve it. The, the end groove is pretty cool, though. I'll give it that. It's, and this is the waiting room. This is the waiting room. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Okay. My last shelve it moment is in the rapids. And, uh, it's uh, which which uh, in the rapids is the second to last song in the record. It's another two minute piece that comes right before it, which is the uh, the final track on the record. And it, you know this is a concept record, so of course, of course, there are moments that are more melancholic, uh, which I feel this song is supposed to be. Like I I understand the feeling it it pulls out and, and the feeling that it's sort of demanding when you listen to it. The problem is, is that I don't understand the concept. So it's hard to connect to the reason. And, right. and it's, it's not bad. Like, I don't think it is a bad song. It just sounds plain and sort of just boring or austere. Like it just doesn't have anything that's there that I'm sort of uh, just, you know, I, I, after I listen to it, I just, leave thinking like why is this here i don't understand but okay either way uh it's not bad i don't think it's bad at all i just think it's uh kind of boring in my opinion so that's my that's my second shell that moment that was a fun that's a fun little thing we should do this more often yeah i just love listening to some of the moments and then just geek out about it oh for sure is great so but yeah thank you guys for listening to our delve it or shelve it Tell it or shove it. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any any last thoughts to say on this record? Well, I guess it's too it's too much to go to even try to tackle the concept, which I don't even know that much about. But I mean, I, yeah, I I mean I could read a, a quick little synopsis, but. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> really, I mean, I, it's a series of events uh-huh. trying to ascertain the meaning of those events would be again, like a bonus episode or something where Dude, I'm down for it. that. I'm down An analysis. But, uh, I mean, cause I mean, honestly, I don't, I don't understand it. I mean, you know, like I haven't really done too much homework on it. I'd have to dig through every single like thing, but I, I think it really is. It's very out there. It's very metaphorical, I'm sure, and all yeah. this stuff. And so there's a lot to kind of analyze. But I think the bonus episode would be great. Yeah. I think that sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Just That'd sit down, dive into it, like head first, dive into it for like 30, 45 minutes and see how much we can just pull out. Yeah. Really break it down. If anyone would even care about that. If anyone yeah, would really I mean, like, care. If you care, care, let us know that you care. If you don't care, please tell us <laughs> because I don't want to put myself through 45 minutes of diving no. headfirst into this thing if nobody's going to care about yeah. it. Yeah, we're like, what? What? We don't care. 
why are you oh, doing this? Great. Why why is someone doing this? That's so good. Let's end it up right here. We're hitting right at our hour 30 mark. So we're right on time here. This is great because I, I was thinking we weren't going to be able to fit all of this content in here. So this is awesome. Well, everybody, we would like to thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast. These are our prog notes. If you enjoyed the episode, learn something new from the episode, please subscribe and share. That would be wonderful. Conversation also doesn't have to stop here, though. Please follow us on Instagram at prog underscore notes and our Facebook page at prog notes podcast. Also, also join our prog notes community. This will give you access to our monthly newsletter, other fun stuff like discord community and more prog rock music. You can find that link to join in this episode's description or on our social media platforms. Drew, what is the next episode's album? What are we going to be listening to? I'm going to be doing moon madness by camel. Mood Madness by Camel. That's going to be great. It's going to be so much yeah. fun. A little fun story around around that album and the choice of that album. We'll tell you guys on the next episode. So join us next time as we discover past, present, and future of prog rock. We're going to close with the last song on The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, It. See you on Discord, guys. Thanks.
That it's pretentious You be taken for a ride